Bible worm, Bible worm, reading the Bible with Bible worm. Welcome to Bible Worm, getting to the core of the biblical text. I'm Dr. Robert Williamson, professor of religious studies at Hendricks College and the founding pastor of Mercy Community Church in Little Rock. And I'm Dr. Amy Robertson, Director of Lifelong Learning at Congregation Or Hadash in Sandy Springs, Georgia. We're here every week to discuss the biblical text, both as biblical scholars and as people of faith, one Jewish, one Christian. On this special Ash Wednesday episode, we're discussing the image of Jesus as both the shepherd and the gate in John 10, 1-18. We talk about what it means to be gathered into the sheep pen and why, according to this text, you can't simply stay there. Somebody is going to lead you back out into a dangerous world. What matters is who you follow. We think about Jesus as the gate who keeps out the thieves and outlaws and lets only the good shepherd in. And we think about Jesus as the good shepherd who knows our names and is willing to lay down his life to keep us safe. And on this Ash Wednesday, we ask what it means for us to be people of faith, willing to go forth into a dangerous world, leaving the safe confines of our spiritual enclaves to bring abundant life to the world. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Amy, how are you this week? I am doing just fine. How we are you? We just saw each other not too long ago. That we're re- recording our special Ash Wednesday episode. That's right. And so, yeah, I feel like I, I have just seen you not too long ago. I will say that it's at this February day, there is a bird very cheerily singing right outside my window. Which is kind of lovely because you can sort of start to hear the sounds of spring emerging. Also, it might be annoying. I don't know. If the if we can't figure out how to delete it out of the background of the podcast, then everybody might be listening to a bird. Then everybody will listen to the bird. Yeah. So yes. So I I I've only, it's only been a couple of days since I saw you, but yesterday I was not feeling well. I was like pretty laid up for the day, had some vertigo, whatever. So I mean, actually, as long as I was laying down, I felt fine. It was just if I tried to move, I felt terrible. So I was super bored. I know yeah. you could have much bigger problems than being bored, but I was really bored and I was laying in bed and I could hear a bird outside and I was trying so hard to be like, Amy, this is a gift. You are <laughs> laying in your bed, yeah. listening to a, the beautiful bird sounds in yeah. the yard. It was a struggle though. I was on the struggle bus. It was not, it did not feel like a gift. Yeah. Sometimes that's but the I way. I tried. Sometimes thanks that's thanks for trying, is. Birdie. Yeah. Appreciate it, Birdo. <laughs> yeah. Keep me company um, here. That's funny. Yeah. So maybe uh, the birds have something to say to us. I don't, I don't know what. I do think it's they're, spring, you know, a reminder. Right. Yes. And it's appropriate for Ash Wednesday too. Like it's a reminder mm-hmm. that even here in the depth of February, there is a spring that is coming, but we're not there yet. So it's that's the little bit of the annoyance of it. I think is like I'm ready for the, I'm ready for it to be spring. And Birdo <laughs> is reminding me that there is a spring, but there is a spring. Still February. Well, it's pretty close in Atlanta. Yeah, Atlanta springs early. Yeah, earlier than you. Arkansas have, springs early too. It has it has yet been cold around here, so we'll see how we'll see how it goes. Yeah, you know how there's Groundhog Day. There used to be in. Uh, at the Little Rock Zoo, there was a hedgehog. You had Hedgehog Day? Named Mr. Prickles. <laughs> and Mr. Prickles would make predictions uh, about wh- what was coming uh, winter-wise. And uh, one of my first years out here, 
there was Mr. Prickle's predicted spring and then it snowed like a foot. And so I have this Facebook memory that's like, if I ever meet Mr. Prickles, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. <laughs> and it comes up every year on like February 4th or whatever. And it makes me laugh. That's amazing. Mr. It's a Prickles. pretty weird tradition. It is. Groundhog Day is pretty. It is. Pretty strange. Yeah. What humans do to entertain ourselves during the dark, cold months. <laughs> I know. Yeah. We were talking about Purim last time and then Hedgehog's yeah, yeah. Day. <laughs> yeah. And the Christian calendar, I mean, somewhat different than those two things, but the day that brings us together for this special episode is, is Ash Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Ash Wednesday is the beginning of the period that Christians call Lent, which is the 40 days working their way towards Easter. And so it's this sort of period where we, it's a little, it reminds me a little bit of like Yom Kippur, maybe in the Jewish tradition. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what you think about that, but it's, it's a reflection on our mortality It's a reflection Mm -hmm. on sort of the brokenness of the world. We're looking forward to Easter. So we know that there's this sort of like reminder coming of resurrection and new life and fullness and all those things. But we tried beginning on Ash Wednesday and following through the period of Lent to not get to Easter too quickly and to recognize the sort of the struggles of the pre-Easter life, which is, I mean, which is where we live our day to day. Right, right. So that's sort of what Ash Wednesday is in the Christian tradition. Any thoughts about that or like connections to your I, tradition? I love the parallel to Yom Kippur and to, you know, the month leading up to Yom Kippur and, and Rosh Hashanah, the month of Elul on the Jewish calendar is, it's not as as clearly marked as Lent, I don't think. Like you wouldn't yeah. like give something up for Elul yeah. or something like that. But it is a time of, reflection. It's a time that we're really called to pay attention. You know, we blow this, we blow the ram's horn every day of Elul to wait. You're supposed to like wake up, wake, you know, wake, wake yourself to what you're not paying attention yeah. to. And that does sound like it yeah. aligns really well with, with what you're saying. So Amy, one of the interesting things in the narrative lectionary cycle is that a lot of these momentous occasions in the Christian calendar occur with texts that are not sort of the normal suspects Mm -hmm. uh, in our tradition uh, for those days. And so there's a whole set of texts that get read on Ash Wednesday. John 10 is not one of them. Mm. And so today we're reading John 10, 1 to 18, which follows up directly on what we read on our last regular podcast, the story of the blind man in chapter nine. And it is In the liturgical calendar this year in the narrative lectionary, it is the Ash Wednesday text. In John's gospel, it's just sort of the next Mm -hmm. chapter. So Mm -hmm. any thoughts about how we ought to think about this chapter 10 being connected to other things that we've been doing? You know, I think that, I think for me, that might be a question that I just have to hold throughout our reading. I love sort of those new juxtapositions instead of just reading the traditional text. What if we take another text and put it in that light? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. what do we what do we see new? What do we see with, with fresh eyes about the holiday or with fresh eyes about the text? Yeah. But I can't say I've done that work really yet. Have you? Did, did you have that in mind as you were? Well, you probably had it somewhat in mind as you were reading. Yeah, a little bit. So to me, it point, this text is interesting because it points kind of in two ways. One is that it makes you think about or at least it makes me think. Like, I don't even know why you would be <laughs> thinking about what does Ash Wednesday mean in light of this text? Like, that's very far outside of the things that are sort of on 
your radar to think about. But it's still, you know, for me, it's really helpful to have you reflect on the significance of my holidays Mm. and observances from your perspective. So yeah, that's what points in that direction. And so we'll want to keep that ahead of us. And then this text really interestingly also points backwards to John chapter nine. We, We talked last time about how the gospel of John tends to function with a sequence of sign, dialogue, discourse. In my so, head, I said sine, cosine, tangent, just so you know where I'm at. And we're yeah, not doing that. There will be no trigonometry in, in the course of this episode. Yeah, Miss Oakley's overhead projector. You took me right back there. That's amazing <laughs> how quickly that memory came back. Overhead projector gives them a little bit of a sense of how long ago. I know, I right? How, how old we are, really. We're quite yeah. old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so sine, dialogue, discourse, and... You know, in chapter nine, we had the sign, which was the healing of the man born blind. And then we had the dialogue, which was the sort of argument between the Pharisees and the man and the man's family, and then ultimately Jesus. We have not yet had the discourse, which is where Jesus sort of explains what he was doing. This chapter, actually, chapter 10, is the discourse where Jesus explains what he thought that sign was about in chapter nine. Yeah. So these, te- these two chapters are intimately connected. They are often not read that way because of the way lectionaries work. And so, you know, you, you know, I've read this text a bunch of times before I realized like, oh, wait, we're, we're just continuing on. Like in the Common English Bible, which is where I've been working from, there's not even a paragraph break between the end of chapter mm. nine and the beginning of chapter 10. So as we read this text today, we want to be thinking backwards a little bit about what does this have to do with the, the blind man that we talked about last time? And we want to be thinking, or at least I do, uh, forwards yeah. a little bit to where does this connect, not just with today, but with Ash Wednesday today. Yeah. Yeah. I think both of those additional layers are um, really rich and, and helpful. And I mean, you're right. You can absolutely read the text that we read today and it, it, it doesn't verbally have any such any super clear tie that you would say like, Oh, this reminds me of that story we just read. Right. Just, yeah. Yeah. So just as a reminder at the end of chapter nine, Jesus had an interaction with the man who is now able to see and where that man said, I believe, and bowed down or worshipped him or did, or did mm-hmm, something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then this little interaction with the Pharisees, where the Pharisees, where Jesus has said, I've come into the world to exercise judgment so that those who don't see can see, and those who see will become blind. So this kind of flipping of sight and blindness. Yeah. And the yeah. Pharisees say, we're not blind, are we? And Jesus says, if you were blind, you wouldn't have any sin. But now you say, we see, your sin remains. And then we get this, then Jesus interprets that with, with this. So yeah. that sort of m- mysterious saying that we talked about at the end of last time leads us into this text. Yeah. Okay, so our text is John 10, 1 to 18. I'm going to start reading 1 to 6, and I'm in the Common English Bible. I assure you that whoever doesn't enter into the sheep pen through the gate, but climbs over the wall is a thief and an outlaw. The one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The guard at the gate opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Whenever he has gathered all of his sheep, he goes before them and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger, but will run away because they don't know the stranger's voice. Those who heard Jesus use this analogy didn't understand what he was saying. (laughs) So we are in good company. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that your translation says, uh, Sheep pen. Yeah. What is yours? 
Mine says a sheep fold, which I just had to look up eventually because oh. I was like, I don't, I don't know. I don't have an image in my head for what's happening here. Not that I have very good sheep carrying images. Yeah. Anyway, but yes. So Great. when you read sheep pen versus sheep fold, like now that you've heard both, like what's the, what's the mental image that's in your head? What are we, what are we looking at? I mean, what I, what I'm picturing is some kind of confined space that apparently has walls and a gate mm-hmm. where sheep are kept safe when they are not grazing. The other thing that, or another thing is, you know, what the shepherd is ultimately going to do here is lead the sheep out of the sheep pen, mm-hmm. which initially to me was a little confusing. Like I felt sort of safe and secure inside the sheep pen with my shepherd. And I was like, why are, why are you going to lead us out? But I guess you can't just live in a sheep pen forever, right? Like I'm just thinking very woodenly here, like very mm, literally. Like if you're a sheep, true. you can't stay in the sheep pen. You got to go out where there is grass right. because you will graze the, right. the sheep pen very quickly. Right. Okay, so when we think, we've, we got that mental picture in our head. We're just trying to work through the metaphor a little bit, the analogy, yeah. as, the, as mm-hmm. the CEB calls it. We don't need to do anything terribly profound with it, uh, I don't think, just yet. We've got this three characters, basically, who are trying to get into the sheep pen where the sheep are. One is a thief, one is an outlaw, one is a shepherd. So if you're listening to that story, and you've got these three characters like i'm just curious like what's your what's your reaction to the the presence of these three possible folks and i think there's a fourth person there's a gatekeeper there is a gatekeeper yeah that is true yeah so i mean when i was first picturing it i i was thinking about someone climbing over the wall to get into where the sheep are and and just sort of trying to picture, like, why would they do that? What yeah. are they doing? Yeah. Are they going to steal a sheep? If there's no gatekeeper, then they could just probably walk through the gate to steal their sheep. I mean, they're going to have to go out the gate unless they're going to carry a sheep <laughs> <laughs> yeah. over the wall, which would be very impressive. So so I was trying to picture, like, who who are the guys climbing over the side? Yeah. And what's their goal? And, and what's their goal? Mm-hmm. And I... I guess I came sort of to like a false messiah kind of image, yeah. like someone who's going to try to lead the sheep or take them somewhere, but it is not, you know, in their best interest or it's, you know, it's for the sake of harm or manipulation yeah. or something like that. So there are people who are trying to get into the sheep pen. So yeah. presumably so they can take some of the sheep away, get some of the sheep to follow them, whether it's through the gate past the mm-hmm. gatekeeper or whether it's, you know, back over the fence or under the hole in the back wall or whatever it is. Yeah. And so if you're, if you're thinking of yourself as a sheep, then there is some danger present or the, at least potential danger for people who have made their way into the fold sort of by illicit means. Mm-hmm. You know, those, sometimes the thieves and outlaw in this text are read as the Pharisees or the Jewish leaders. Mm-hmm. And that's a fairly common interpretation. I actually don't think it's a very good one. I was reading Caroline Lewis's commentary. She she teaches New Testament and preaching at Luther Seminary. And she has a commentary on John that, that I found to be pretty helpful. And she says, look, the, the Pharisees and the uh, Jewish leaders weren't trying to get into the Christian sheep pen, <laughs> right? Like that was not at all what they were doing. But the people who are called thief and outlaw, interestingly, in the gospel 
One is Judas, the thief, and the, and the bandit or the outlaw is Barabbas, who gets mm. released later. And so you've got one who, Judas, who ultimately is a traitor. And then Barabbas, he's a kind of a strange figure. He doesn't have a whole lot of, I don't know, he's not a, a, a very active presence in the Gospel of John, mm-hmm. I suppose. Mm-hmm. But maybe he represents like revolutionaries or, or something like that. And so you see what I think what you end up having is people who are seem to be part of the community, like Judas, who in fact ultimately are about something different than what Jesus is about. This is not about outsiders trying to get in, but about insiders who are not trust or who appear to be insiders anyway, who are mm-hmm. not trustworthy. Does that mm-hmm. does that seem right to you? I mean, I th- I think that makes sense. It's complicated for me because that well, I don't know if the the sheep represent Jews or just people. Yeah. Like potential followers. And then it's weird that like the thief is a different species than them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But this kind of thing where like when you're reading a metaphor, like sometimes you don't know which thing is to lean into and which things you're like, don't pay attention to that. Yeah. But I really, I had, I didn't know. And I love knowing that Judas and Barnabas. Barabbas. 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 Yes. Judas and Barabbas is a different guy. Are actually called by these names yeah. elsewhere. That's mm-hmm. really helpful. It seems important. Yeah. Yeah. The species thing is complicated. And, you know, one of the things that I kind of have, the, one of the ways I process that is sort of the sheep are like, you know, the common folk, just the, yeah. the people. Yeah. yeah. Whether Jews or not Jews, but probably in the context of the Gospel of John, like pretty much everybody is a Jew in the Gospel of John. You know, maybe his audience is not, but the yeah. people are. And then the, I think the different species are, people who are trying to lead them, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, Jesus is going to show up, spoiler alert, as, as a shepherd here in a minute. Yeah. Jesus is, I mean, he's different than people, but he is also one of the people, right? He is the word made right. flesh. And so I just, right. I would tend to work that out as like people who are trying to have a leadership position amongst mm-hmm. the amongst mm-hmm. the common mm-hmm. folk. And the common that folk are kind of vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. So the difference between the shepherd who comes in so i mean he comes in through the gate instead of over the fence mm-hmm. the gatekeeper whoever that is and i don't i don't know that we need to exercise a lot of energy thinking about who that is but but maybe it's interesting recognizes mm-hmm. his voice the sheep recognize his voice but that they don't so the difference here is about recognition i guess we've been talking about recognition a lot this spring in the gospel of john any thoughts about this issue of who is recognized and and who is not recognized and what that might mean. I, I mean, I was really taken and just sort of love the idea that, I mean, it doesn't really say why they, why he opens the gate for him, but that when, when he does the sheep hear his voice and they recognize his voice and it just is such a tender, like newborn baby moment, sort of like, you know, recognizing the voice of the person who carried you that you've never seen before. And I love that it leans into a sense other than vision. We were just talking about all the problems with vision, how it makes you, I don't know, you can be misled, you go so quickly. It made me think of the story of Jacob and Esau, where Isaac can't see, but if he had relied on his sense of hearing, he actually would have known that it was Jacob oh, and yeah. not Esau. Who oh, was I love that connection, him. Amy. Yeah. And the other thing it reminds me of is, I think I think it was at the end of Isaiah, and I think I brought it up at some point in the beginning of John too. This this idea that like people are sort of, 
at, I think I described it as almost like a cocktail party of ideas, like, and you're trying to figure out who to incline your ear toward. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I don't know. I just got, again, this sort of sense of like, when you hear the voice, you'll know the voice. Like you don't have to overthink it. It just is almost like a, like a, a built-in intuitive recognition that this is your, this is a guy, this is the shepherd. I love that, Amy. And those connections to the Hebrew scriptures are, are so helpful. If you think forward in the Gospel of John, there are also a couple of times when Jesus speaks people's names. The two that are occurring mm-hmm. to me, one is when he, when he calls Lazarus out of the tomb, he calls him mm-hmm. by name, Lazarus, come out. And the other is after Jesus has been resurrected, he appears to Mary and she doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's the gardener until he speaks her name, Mary, and then she, and then she mm-hmm. recognizes him. Mm-hmm. So there mm-hmm. is this thing about hearing, about, about the, the naming, the, sh- mm-hmm. the shepherd knows your name, the shepherd can speak your name, and that when you hear it, you just know. I love, I love the way you said that. One of the things we've been talking about all spring is Jesus keeps doing these signs, but he keeps sort of saying, like, the signs are not the thing, y'all. Mm-hmm. Knowing it when you hear it. That's the thing. And mm-hmm. here, here we mm-hmm. kind of get that, get that sense. Yeah. So what the shepherd does when he gets there, they recognize his voice and then he calls them and leads them out. And they go out, John says, in ver- or Jesus says in verse four, because they know his voice, they don't follow strangers, but they follow the shepherd. Mm-hmm. So what do you make of the lead? We talked a little bit about the sort of practical issues of leading out. Like you've got to go graze someplace what do you make of this idea? Like, honestly, my first read was like, oh, the shepherd's here. We're all in the sheepfold. Like, life's good. Like, let's just, let's just do this. And then the first thing the shepherd does when the shepherd gets there is lead the sheep out. What, mm-hmm. what do you make of that, the leading out? That's such a good question. I mean, it's making me think back to your sort of initial observation that they can't stay in the pen. Yeah. And at the same time, we know there are dangers in the world. Yeah. So you could stay in the pen and be safe, but eventually you die of starvation. Yeah. Or you could go out from the pen and, you know, face the risks of the wolves or the thieves or whatever. And so this shepherd is the one who, any you know, who, who allows for both, who creates a circumstance where you can go out and get the resources you need and and also be protected. Yeah. What are you, what are, how, how does that all resonate for you? Are you surprised that the shepherd first brought them, took them out? Well, when I first read it, I was, and I, you know, it was just because I thought the goal here is to all be yeah. together and be safe. Yes. Yes. Right. That what we'd want to be doing is putting more people in the pen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not and people. It, <laughs> yeah. Sheep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, and then the more I thought about it, like I think where you're headed is ex- is exactly right. That you know that is not livable to just huddle where it's safe with your shepherd all the time. There is you know there is safety there, but that's not that's not a life that can be sustained. You got to go out in the world and find places to graze, and the world is a dangerous place, mm-hmm. and you better trust the one that you're following. And there's other people. There's a thief in there, and there is a outlaw in there and they mm-hmm. want you to follow them too. They want to take you out in the world and who knows where, where they're going to take you. Right. And so 
I think that makes a lot of sense. Like you've got to you've got to risk going out into the world where it is dangerous. And if you follow the shepherd who knows your name and whose voice you know, then you can trust that you'll be taken care of. Yeah. We might want to put a pin in this question I'm about to ask you because it it might be moving too fast, but I'm wondering about the pen as a representation. Some Like you have spoken before of sort of the, the earthly ways of things. Yeah. The earthly systems and, and Jesus continuing to say like, that's, that's not the ultimate thing. Yeah. And so I'm wondering about the pen as a representation of like the, the earthly systems and, and you can be in there and you can live in that space and you are relatively safe, but it's not, it's not really living because you're just in a pen. That's so interesting, Amy, because when you started, where my head went was, <laughs> you're not going to, you're not going to be surprised by this, was exactly the opposite. Really? That the pen, maybe the pen is oh, like spiritual uh-huh. security. Uh-huh. And what you want to do is just huddle up with your shepherd yeah. and your friends and be in there. But that's not the way the world but is. that's you not the go way out. either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. And I mean, maybe like if you take... <laughs> I'm so predictable. If you take both of those things, you know, what John has been up to this whole time is to say, look, the spiritual and the and the fleshly are, they go together. Jesus is the word yeah. made flesh. And we are spiritual, physical beings with a spiritual essence or something. And so, you know, if the pen is one side or either side, then, you know, the world is like, okay, but there's this complicated mix you can't just you can't just have the one or the other you've got to be out um in where where the where the two come together yeah i don't know that sounded better in my head than it did when it came out no i mean i i i actually love being able to flip that flip those sort of uh assignments for the metaphor both ways i think you know i just listened to this interview on um on being with a guy named Trabian Shorters, and he was talking about he how he was raised by his grandparents who had been sort of raised in the traditional black church. And when his grandparents used to say this, you know, when they would talk about the real world, quote unquote, they were talking about spiritual reality. Yeah. Like that is, that is the real world. And yeah. I think I have that still sort of playing in my yeah. mind as I'm reading this, but I, I can absolutely see how it would be also a really powerful metaphor the other way. To keep pondering that, because we're going we're gonna to keep mm-hmm. sort of circling around this issue of the, the pin in the world uh, mm-hmm. for the rest of the text. Indeed. If you were trying to pause, I don't know if you can do it at this moment, but if you were trying to pause and think backwards now to the story of the blind man who regains his sight in the last chapter, and mm-hmm. in what way Jesus is connecting this idea of sheep and pins and shepherds and whatnot. Can you make, like, does anything Can occur Can I to see you? a bridge? The only thing that's occurring to me at this point is, again, that emphasis on sound as opposed to vision. Yeah. But it doesn't, the text doesn't quite play out. Like, there's no discussion of vision in this. Yeah. So... So it, it's, I don't know, maybe I'm pushing it too far to say that if, if, if the sheep had relied on vision, they wouldn't be able to tell the difference between a thief, thief and a shepherd or something. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. Do you, have a, do you have a landing place for the connection at this well, that's point? That's actually where my head goes too, is we just had this 
contrast in verse not chapter 9, verse 41, between those who think they can see but are blind and those who are in fact blind but actually mm-hmm. can see. And then we've had this little passage here, which is emphasizing the sound of the voice. Mm-hmm. And, and we've had this repeated I- emphasis in John's gospel that seeing signs is not the point. Hearing the truth when you hear, recognizing the truth when you hear it, that's the point. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's actually a really nice interpretation is to say, I mean, sheep aren't blind, but sheep are not the geniuses of the mm-hmm. animal world. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, even a sheep recognizes the, the true voice, the voice of, it, of the one who's going to tend to it. Yeah. And so in, in that sense, I think being able to see in, that sor- in sort of that spiritual sense is not really, because the Pharisees can see, they think about things like, oh, this guy's from Galilee. That can't be him. Yeah, right. If they could just hear and recognize, then, then they would actually be better off. I think that's yeah. a reasonable connection. I'm not, I'm not sure if it's the only way one could connect, but I think it's a, I think it's a good one. So the people who hear uh, Jesus don't have any idea what he's talking about. So <laughs> the fact that, we, that we've made it that far, <laughs> I feel like, is something. Great. Yeah. Hi, everyone. It's Bobby here from Bible Worm. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. Amy and I started Bible Worm a couple of years ago because we wanted to create a space where we could talk deeply about the Bible in ways that bring together our academic backgrounds in biblical studies and our deep engagement with communities and people of faith. We decided to make this resource free because we want everyone to have access to sound biblical scholarship that connects biblical faith to everyday life. We hope you're finding the podcast fits that need. That said, while the podcast is free, making it is not. Amy and I and the rest of Team Bibleworm spend a lot of time and energy studying, recording, and editing the podcast to make it freely available to the public. If you enjoy the podcast, and if you find yourself in a position to support our work, we hope that you will consider becoming a Bibleworm supporter for as little as $4 per month. For a bit more, you can also get early access to episodes, weekly liturgies, video Bible studies, join a monthly discussion group, and more. We realize not everyone is in a position to support the podcast, but if you appreciate our work and want to support us, we hope you'll check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast for more details. Thanks so much for listening, and now back to this week's podcast. All right, so Jesus, uh, John tells us that nobody knew what Jesus was talking about, and so Jesus tries again in verse mm-hmm. 7 through 10. Yep, let me break it down for you, people. So Jesus spoke again, I assure you that I am the gate of the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and outlaws, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief enters only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came so that they could have life, indeed, so that they could have life to the fullest. When I first read the line that was, I am the gate, I was like, wait, what? I thought you were the shepherd. <laughs> yeah, you didn't no, see that coming, No, first you're the you? gate. Yeah. <laughs> no, I did not see that coming. I did not see that coming. Yeah. I'm the gate. My mm-hmm. surmise is that many of us who interpret this passage or who preach on this passage probably skip past the gate imagery fairly quickly and try to go to the shepherd because it's a, you just, it's just more relatable. Yeah. If we try to linger over this issue, like Jesus says, I am the gate. And as we've talked about, these I am statements in John's gospel are important. 
And so we assume that the identification of Jesus as the gate is something that's worth trying to get our, get our head around. Mm-hmm. So when you think about what is Jesus trying to say about himself here by calling himself the gate, where do you, where do you get started? Or where do you come out? I mean, it's so, so if, if Jesus is the gate, then that makes me think back to, you know, these other points where, where Jesus has basically said, like, I am, you can't get yeah. to the father, but through me, like I, I'm yeah. the only path here. And it still is a yeah. protecting image, but it sees, but, but it puts Jesus more as the, the conduit that, that leads to, I guess, I don't know if at this point it's appropriate to say God the Father, but yeah. God instead of Jesus being the yeah the everything. Although as we'll see later, Jesus then <laughs> yeah. <also. laughs> that's the way it always is. But in not, John, yet, right? not yet. Working first, back and forth. First yeah. yeah. Now that's I, you know I, yeah. this is often read in light of John fourteen six. No one comes to the Father except through me. And mm. and these two passages together sort of get read as this exclusionary sense of like who gets into the kingdom and who doesn't, and you know belief in Jesus is the, yeah. is the is the benchmark, and you know that might not be an unreasonable reading, but I don't think it's the only reading or maybe even the best reading, partly because you know what happens is people come through the gate and they are saved and then they come in and go out and they find pasture. So the gate is actually going both ways. It's not like you're insider outsider. Mm-hmm. Those on the outside, it's so sad that you're out there. Those on the inside, congratulations, you made it into the sheep pen of heaven or whatever. It's, you know, mm-hmm. the traffic is going in both directions. You come in and then you go out and you're going and you're going through Jesus in, in both directions. So I think it's more I think it's more nuanced than it is sometimes read as simply like you got to go through Jesus to get to heaven. Yeah. Can you t- keep keep talking? <laughs> like I No, like I see I see what you're saying like it is that 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 sort of, you know, one to one analogy doesn't doesn't quite get you all the way there because as you're saying people are going back and forth and it's yeah. not like a one time you one time pass from the pen into the world and then ta-da you're done. Yeah. But I also don't want to push you too hard because I I know that John it I, I think part of the magic of John is that it's so suggestive and then just kind of leaves leaves things open in the end. So I don't know is there do you have more to say about what it means for Jesus to be a gate. Yeah, I mean, so I read the analogy as kind of a, like a filtering analogy. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's about, it's not exactly about who lets the sheep in and out. It's more about who lets the shepherd, the thief, mm-hmm. and the outlaw mm-hmm. in and out. Mm-hmm. Yep, 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 that makes sense. And so if I think of myself as a sheep, like the gate, like the nice thing about the gate is that it protects me from people who are trying to do mm-hmm. me harm. And so I can come in and I can go out and the gate sort of says, you are coming in and going out with someone who means well for you. Mm-hmm. At least that's kind of, that's kind of how, how I tend to read it. Yeah. And so if you follow that line of thinking, I don't know, where, do, where does that, where does that end up? It's a protective, it's, 
it's protective. Mm-hmm. You are not being led astray. And then the, then the question of like, who are the thieves and the outlaws mm-hmm. comes back. And, you know, where I go, which is where you would imagine that I go, is the thieves and the outlaws are about all kinds of people who are trying to lead us all kinds of places. Mm-hmm. Some of them are religious leaders for sure. Some of them are politicians and business people and professors and like all kinds of people have places that they that they want to want us to go. Mm-hmm. Some of them mean us harm. Some of them mean us well, but are going to lead us in into places that are actually not good for us. And so there's a there's a whole question here about who should we trust, who should we follow, and to have a gate that's there saying like, okay, you can't get in here unless yeah. you're trustworthy. Yeah, makes me think like, oh, okay, then whoever. Like whoever can make it through the Jesus gate, <laughs> yeah. then I can trust them. I don't quite know where that, I don't, I can't quite make that plane land, but that's sort of the ballpark of it. I don't know why the plane's yeah, in the no, ballpark it, in there. But, you it, you, as you were talking, I was thinking about, you know, we, we said before, like the gate, it doesn't say why the gatekeeper opens the door. Presumably he, you know, back in the previous section before Jesus was the yeah. gate, when there was a gatekeeper and a shepherd, the sheep recognized the shepherd's voice but that, but it still required someone to let him in. Like, you know, there's, there's still, I don't know, mm-hmm. that, that sort of extra layer of protection. Like, j- otherwise, just reading it, it's like the sheep will just automatically know. Mm-hmm. But this, I don't know, put, m- maybe says like, they'll automatically know if they're presented with the right options. Like, it's, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah, like maybe it's a little more, complicated then you'll just know like yeah. you'll just know in your heart that it's the right voice like you, what are the protections you need in place so that you're exposed to the right possible voices yeah and also you'll know i love that like, amy because one of, the, <laughs> one of the things that we've been sort of wrestling with all spring i say spring anything after january 1st because i'm a <laughs> i'm an educator one of the things we've been talking about all the way through the gospel of john is this kind of interplay between like certain people are given to mm-hmm. Jesus and mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit moves certain people to respond to Jesus. And yet there's still the sense that you're responsible for your choices that you make. And we've been sort of saying like, wait, which one? And this is maybe another, another version of that. I, I, I like the way you put that, that, you know, we are expected as sheep to respond to the shepherd's voice, but the mm-hmm. decks are stacked in our favor because exactly. the non-shepherds yep. have been filtered out by the gate. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to put that. We get this image again of coming in and going out. And this time when they go out, they find pastures. So you get a clearer sense that you have to go out, right? You can't yeah. just stay in because you need, you need pasture. And then you get much more explicitly, the thief is trying to steal, kill, and destroy. The, sh- the shepherd, who we don't really know who that is in, in this little analogy, but is trying to lead you to pasture. Mm-hmm. Does that contrast of pasture and danger lead you anywhere? You know, it's so interesting because the way that it talks about the thief and the bandit, the image I have in my mind from the earlier part of this text is that they've actually climbed into the pen. Yeah. So like they're in this place that was supposed to be a safe hold yeah. for you. And pasture, while it it does have dangers about it that's not what's at the forefront here like yeah. it's almost like there will be dangers in the pen anyway like you're you maybe thought you were safe in there but oh yeah 
you know, if people can climb the wall, then yeah, maybe you're not. Yeah, so you're not. Yeah, the pin is not as safe as you as you think it might be. My head went to I not my head went to the twenty third Psalm, mm-hmm. and this idea that God leads you to pasture mm-hmm. and makes a table in the presence of enemies, which has a similar sense to me that there is good pasture land out there where you can be safe and secure. And also the world is a dangerous place out there. Mm-hmm. And yet if you are in the right community or with the right shepherd or have passed through the right gate, that you will be safe out there and well-fed, mm-hmm. even though that your enemies are, are, are around. I don't know if Jesus is, or John's Jesus is trying to connect us to that passage or not, but that's where, that's where my head goes. But yeah, no, I think that's a, I think that's a great beautiful connection it's 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 funny for me as like a person living in a modern city to like figure out how to deal with all these shepherd and pasture metaphors because my my the background the backdrop of my life is so different than this text but it seems like psalm 23 in particular is so resonant yeah that um i think it makes sense to bring it in here the last thing in this section as one of my honestly one of my favorite verses in the New Testament, which is John in John ten ten, I came so that they could have life and life abundant. Mm. And I don't know. I just I'm just curious when you think about life abundant life or living life to the fullest. What does that conjure for you? That's mm. such a good question. And I think you know I I just this morning was reading some. I was reading an article about Rabbi Nachman of Bratslav, who's this very famous rabbi who many scholars now think that he suffered from some kind of mental illness, which I think is part of what makes his story so compelling to us, that he really sees the sort of dark and scary things in the world mm-hmm. and is not afraid to talk about them. And one of his famous um, phrases is, all the world is a narrow bridge, and the important thing is not to be afraid. And I think that as we're talking about the dangers that are in the pen or the dangers that are outside of the pen, for me, light, to live life abundantly is not to, not to feel you have to hide from those dangers. Yeah. And that's what he, that's what this, the gate or the shepherd or, you know, some amalgamation of yeah. those characters is is offering here because as you're, as you were saying, you can't stay in the pen Yeah, because you won't have food. And also it's not safer in there anyway. Like you just think you're safe. Yeah. I love that, Amy. So it's not some sort of illusion that there is possibility of just living without any awareness that the world is a complicated and dangerous place, but being able to live fully, even though you are completely aware that there yeah. is a world out there that can mean us harm. Yeah. I love that. I love that so much. When I read a Life Abundantly, I go back to Deuteronomy, honestly, and living in a land of milk and honey and the sort of mm. vision that Deuteronomy seems to put out about that. Like you live in a land where there is plenty. And so make sure, like you should live in plenty and also make sure that your community also, the widow, the orphan, the stranger, are also living life abundantly. And so there's a there's a sense of a, true abundance means communal abundance, mm-hmm. not individual abundance. And so it connects us 
to people, which I think is very much in keeping with what you were saying. Like there's a dangerous world out there and it is possible yeah. to live abundantly if we look out for each other. Yeah. One of the groups, I think I mentioned them actually in the last podcast or two. One of the groups I work with is the Ujamaa Center at the University of KwaZulu-Natal in South Africa. And they do this contextual Bible study where they read with people. And, you know, whenever you start doing this thing that we do, where you open up possible different interpretations, then you just end up with like all these possible different interpretations. And so one question becomes, how do you know which interpretation you're going to follow? Right. You can't just end up with like, here's 10 different things it could mean. Like, see ya. You know, yeah. At some point, you got to live your life. Yeah. And so what, the, what Ujamaa Center, this is their key verse. I came that, so that all might have life and life abundant. And so there, when they make an interpretation of the scripture and they say, what action does this lead us to? The question is, will this action that we take based mm-hmm. on the scripture lead to more abundant life for everybody, for all? And if yes, then that's a good interpretation of scripture. If no, mm-hmm. we got to go back. Like if, if we end up in an interpretation of scripture that's harming people or depriving people of the capacity to live abundantly, we need to rethink what we're doing. That's been a really key thing for me with this verse to, as a I biblical scholar. That. Am I bringing I life or, or am I not? Yeah. Does your, maybe this is a translation question. Does yours say that I came that all may have life and have it abundantly? Or have it to the <laughs> <No>. fullest. Mine <laughs> just says that they may have life. Yeah, that's a, that's Which a wishful. You could, yeah, I mean, you could still make the jump to what you were saying. Okay, I was just checking. No, that's fair, and it's a, like it's interesting to notice when your internal Bible uh, does things differently than the actual words on the actual page. And I import yeah. an all there. You know, I think it's not an unreasonable one because yeah, we have John three sixteen, where God so loved the world, right? So God's desire, in my mind, is to reconcile the world, and so all means. All they means all, yeah. But I do think this text there is a sense that maybe there are some who are not who are out, who are on the outside, whether because you know the shepherd didn't call them or because they followed the wrong shepherd, they followed the thief. So no, I yeah. I appreciate your compl- I'm going to stick with my all because I like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I yeah. Like it better. No good, stick with that. I like it. <laughs> and we- I also think it's not totally clear yet who if you know it, it's the. It, the text calls this his own sheep, yeah. which raises the question, like, are there other sheep that are not his sheep yeah. and, you know, whatever. But, but yeah, but I think the text is blurry enough on that that we yeah. can say all. Oh. And we've seen this <laughs> issue before where Jesus says things like, I will not lose any of those who have been given to me. And the mm-hmm. question is like, well, who's been given to you? Yeah. And how yeah. big is that group? And, you know, I, I don't know that we can solve these things within the Gospel of John, but it's, there does seem to be sort of a, handing over of a certain group and how big or small that group is. In my mind, it's yeah. always like the bigger, the better. Like let's, let's expand. Yeah. yeah but not everybody yeah. reads that way. Yeah. Okay. Then Jesus. So Jesus has tried to interpret the gate part of the metaphor. Now he's going to shift to the shepherd part of the metaphor, mm-hmm. starting in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. When the hired hand sees the wolf coming, he leaves the sheep and runs away. That's because he isn't the shepherd. The sheep aren't really his. So the wolf attacks the sheep and scatters them. He's only a hired hand and the sheep don't matter to him. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me, just as the father knows me and I know the father. I give up my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that don't belong to this sheep pen. I must lead them too. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. This is why the father loves me. I give up my life so that I can take it up again. 
No one takes it from me, but I give it up because I want to. I have the right to give it up, and I have the right to take it up again. I received this commandment from my father. That's a lot. That's a lot, yes. So what in there sort of draws your attention? I mean, I think, I love the introduction of the hired hand because it's not just people who mean to do you harm. Yeah. It's people who, I mean, I wouldn't think a hired hand means to do anyone harm. He's just not so bought into his mission, his job to care for these sheep. Like there's a point at which he's going to say, see ya. Like, like, this this is not my, you know, what is it? Not my barrel, not my monkeys, not my circus. Not my circus, <laughs> yeah. not my monkeys. Yeah. And that to me seems much more uh, relatable in some ways. Yeah. Like there, is, there are definitely situations in which I am the hired hand. Sure, yeah. Like I'll help and I will do what I think is a competent job, but I'm not, you know, there's a point at which I'm out. Yeah. So I, I think the addition of that nuance is is really helpful. I do too. And I love the way you say that. And you know, the phrase that was occurring to me was I don't get paid enough to do this or, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. It's yeah. above my pay grade. It's above yep. my pay grade. Yeah. And I like that a lot. I, I agree with you because, you know, I'm relatively confident that I'm not a thief or a bandit. Yeah. There might be some people out there who would disagree with that. I don't know, but <laughs> I feel fairly comfortable, yeah. but uh, yeah, am I a hired hand? Like when push comes to shove, am I gonna yeah. am I gonna lay down my life or am I not? And I think the answer is <laughs> probably not. Like there might yeah. be a few people around for some things, but yeah. for a lot of things, no. Which is to me, that's a really helpful because then it's sort of this issue. Like if the question is like, why was Jesus necessary? Yeah. Then an answer becomes something like because all of us humans are hired hands. At the end yeah. of the day. We have self-interest that weighs against putting our life on the line for someone else. It might weigh right. differently depending on who the other person is. Yes. But at some point, we're all going to choose our own self-interest over somebody else. Yeah. And the implication here seems to be Jesus isn't ever going to do that. Right. And so he, Jesus is reliable in a way that no human person is reliable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you take lay down my life to mean in, in this context? I mean, in the context of the metaphor, mm-hmm. I guess I picture him wrestling a wolf. Yeah. <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. Which, to be honest, that's a what is a pretty crazy thing to do. Yeah. If there's a, you know, it's one thing to try to like scare the wolf, but to actually put yourself in danger of being killed by a wolf to protect some sheep. Yeah. That's like really above and beyond. Yeah. <laughs> above and beyond. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I play this sort of mental game sometimes about like, I mean, it's not, I don't do this often, but you know, who would I actually step in front of a raging bear for? Yeah. And there is a very small list and they are pretty much all related to me. Yeah. And everybody else, you know, I'm like, well, I'll see if I can run faster than you. You might might do something. It's not like you would, you know. Throw a rock at the bear. Sure. Right. But Yeah. Yep. But when and my life is, is in danger, of, I'm going to turn around. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the like no holds barred, like all yeah. the way, all the way. So every sheep in this herd is like a chi- like one of my children. And I yeah. will do, I being Jesus, the, sh- the good shepherd yeah. uh, in, this, in this metaphor. Yeah. I think that's right. And I think that's really helpful. 
to say the world is dangerous. There, there are people who mean harm to the sheep, which is all of us, like even to the point of death. And then, you know, then you get to the point, at least if you're me, in terms of thinking about systemic violence and, you know, the systems of the world. And there's a, there's a lot of forces out there to which people are simply like the means to an end. And, you know, they are trying to do us harm. And then if you, if you put that then into the context of Jesus's story, then, then you've got the empire who are exploiting the people. Jesus is willing to lay down his life to expose and destroy the, mm-hmm. the weapons of the empire. And mm-hmm. so then lay down my life becomes crucifixion, right? Yeah. And then resurrection becomes the defeat of death, which is the only weapon that the empire really has. Yeah. And so I'm willing to be crucified to destroy the system that is destroying you. I am really sort of taken and moved and maybe confused by the line, for this reason, this is my translation, the father loves me mm-hmm. because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. Mm-hmm. The The word loves there, like it's, I would have expected something like, for this reason, my father sent me. Yeah. What do you make of what do you make of the word loves? Like, I don't know. What do you take from that? It almost sounds like, well, I don't know. I won't tell you what I think it almost sounds like. Just what, what do you make of that? Well, I'm curious. Just one way of taking it is that God's, the father's love is contingent on yeah. Jesus doing this thing. Yeah. You know, I think that's a way to read it. So there was this sort of expectation that the father had and because Jesus took it up, you know, in verse 18, I received this commandment from my father. So there yeah. seemed to be some sort of expectation there. And so I think one could read it that way. Just today, I was saying to my kid, I said, I love you because you're so silly, right? Like, mm-hmm. and what I meant by that is I love you. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I love about you yeah. is that yeah, you, yeah. you're such a silly person, right? You're, you have mm-hmm. fun in your, in your life. I didn't mean like, if you weren't silly, I wouldn't love you anymore. And yeah. So I, I think one can read it either way. I prefer to read it as God loves Jesus because Jesus is willing to do this thing that everybody mm-hmm. knows has to happen. Jesus is the kind of son who who will take that on himself. Not mm-hmm. that if Jesus didn't, God wouldn't love him. I really like that because otherwise, for me, it kind of undermines that I'm doing this voluntarily. Yeah. Like if, you know, if if someone says like, this is the only thing, this is the only reason my father loves me, then yeah. it's like sort of voluntary, but yeah, not, not as voluntary. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's right. The other thing that occurs to me in that little part, I gave up my life so that I can take it up again. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, I think that's about crucifixion and resurrection. And also I think it's about incarnation. So there's a passage in Philippians, which we'll actually read later this year, where Jesus talks about having been preexistent with the Father. He gave up equality with the Father to enter into human form, become a slave, so mm-hmm. he could be lifted up again. And so there's this giving up of life that happens in mm-hmm. the incarnation. I had, mm-hmm. I had a preexistent divine life, and I gave up that to become human. Mm-hmm. In my mind, if you read the giving up life as in both of those ways, so I was willing to give up my earthly life to be crucified, yes. I, also, I was willing to give up my divine existence to become human. That Reading that as incarnation, 
to me puts a whole different kind of spin on what Jesus is saying. Like I was willing to enter into the fray of mm-hmm. human life. I wasn't so committed to my pre-existent spiritual self that I couldn't come and be human with you. And so God loves me because I understood that I needed to enter in among the people, give up this sort of privileged existence that I had and be fully embodied, even though it's going to cost me. To me, that those two together are really rich. Do you think, as you were thinking, uh, sorry, as you were talking, I was wondering if there's another, it's, it's not explicit in the text and it might be an overread, but you know, as we talked, we talked a little bit before about what inside the pen and out of the pen could yeah. represent in parallel to to human lives. And I'm wondering now if, you know, Jesus does ask people to give up things from their, the life that they have known in yeah. order to be able to have some other life. And it's not, I mean, obviously it's not death or, you know, there were, whatever, there were martyrs. There was that, but that's not the general ask. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I I know it's not an explicit thing here. Jesus is just talking about Jesus's own experience. But that parallel just sort of, I don't know, creeped into my mind as I I can give up life in order to get a different life. And so can you. I love that, Amy. I think that's exactly right. And elsewhere in John, we get the language, you know, Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you, which means being willing to lay down one's life. And if, if what that means is being willing to be crucified, it's very few of us who are ever going to have to make that choice. Thank God. Yeah. Amen. If what it means is laying down the privilege of your existence to be incarnated among the people who are in danger, suddenly mm. all of us are squarely in that picture. Are you willing to do that or are you yeah. not? If you loved each other, you would do it. And, and even if it leads to the point where you get crucified by the empire. But I don't think that's the point. I think the yeah. point is, are you willing to enter into the fray? Jesus was. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I, I think that's exactly right. Hmm. There's one line in here that I've been, I just keep going over and over it. And I, I just want to know what you think about it. It's in verse 16. I have other sheep that don't belong to this sheep pen. I must lead them to. We sort of have had the image in our head that there's one sheep pen, there's one gate, there's one shepherd. Yeah. Now it turns out this shepherd has multiple pens. Mm-hmm. What do you do with that? That's a really good question. <laughs> and then that it ends with, I must bring them together. There will be one flock. Yeah. You know, it's not that Jesus is going to have separate flocks and go back and forth between them. Yeah. I guess this is, this is where I start to get the, the clear sense that like the community that Jesus will shepherd has not already been formed. It's not like he's taking over a flock. Yeah. You know, like there, there are some who are already grouped together, but then there are others who are all over the place that need to be sought and called and brought. Mm Mm-hmm. I love that. Well, I don't know if I love that. I notice and am compelled by the continued like pers- sense of personal connection that Jesus has with these sheep, though. I have other sheep. Yeah. Not there are other sheep. Yeah. Yeah. And they're out there in the world. So, yeah, I don't, I don't want to draw too much out of 
I don't, you know, I could imagine this has to do with evangelism or, you yeah. know, relationship between the Jewish Christian community and the Gentile Christian community, or I don't know what, but that that's where my head goes. Yeah, no, I, I, I appreciate all of that. And, you know, I do think that the sort of straight ahead interpretation is Christianity emerged from the Jewish context. So there's a Jewish mm-hmm. pen, and then mm-hmm. there's going to be this Gentile pen too. Mm-hmm. And so this is sort of anticipating, or by the time of the writing of the Gospel of John, it's explaining how mm-hmm. Christianity ex- expanded. I think that's a fine reading. I think that's probably part of what's going on here. But to me, I, I like where you were headed. I might shade it slightly differently, which which is to say, it seems to the sheep as though Jesus is committed only to them. And it is true mm-hmm. that Jesus is specially committed to them, but mm-hmm. Jesus, the shepherd, is not exclusively committed to them. And so it doesn't diminish the shepherd's care for them that he also cares for other sheep. But there is also this sense of like the shepherd's going to shepherd and mm-hmm. you don't get to decide who is and is not legitimate for the shepherd to be shepherding. I love that. And it, in some ways, I feel like that balances out the sense of like personal connection between Jesus and the she- and the sheep. Like there, yeah. there is that. Yes. But it's not like, I keep getting this parenting idea in my head. It's not really parenting because yeah. it's not, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To me, that opens up, you know, one of the things I always worry about, especially with the gospel of John is this sense that people who read the gospel of John suddenly feel this sort of exclusive specialness mm-hmm. We're God's people and nobody else is. And this, in my mind, that's that little verse kind of warns against that. Like you are special. And also Mm -hmm. there is room for other people to be special. And it's not your job, sheep, to go shepherd them. It's my job as the shepherd to go shepherd them. And so Mm -hmm. let let me shepherd who I will shepherd. And that opens up in kind of different ways to, you know, you can read that as expanding beyond the Christian circle or you can expand you can understand that as evangelism there's different ways of reading that but to sort of have a little bit of humility you reader of the gospel of john about where the shepherd can be and, and what the mm-hmm. shepherd can do mm-hmm. all right amy so that brings us to the point where our task is to connect what we've been reading to contemporary life in the context of our communities or con- just contemporary life in general in the context of ash wednesday if you want to take a stab where are where is your head with this text? The first thing I was going to say was, you know, in, in this way that John has done before, where he sort of identifies Jesus with one part of one part of the story and then also another part and also another part, like it starts to sound yeah. like the runaway bunny to me in some ways. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, the the mother bunny just turns, yeah, you can go where you go, and the mother bunny will turn into whatever. Yeah. I love <laughs> whatever that. will meet you there. Jesus, the runaway bunny. Jesus is the runaway bunny's mom. It, <laughs> that's beautiful. But then, as you asked about uh, about Ash Wednesday, I'm thinking more more to that conversation we were just sort of and you know ending on with what what is the life that we need to be willing to give up, and what does yes. it mean to be willing to give it up? Because it's not. It's giving it up with a, like, immediate, there's something else. Yeah. Like, it's not just there are some things that are so important that that you have to be willing to die for them, and you just do. The end. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
it's that there is this sort of, you know, other world, this spiritual world that is maybe the real world. And you have to be willing to give up the earthly world to be able to get to that. That that sounds less, I don't know if this is good or bad. It sounds less sort of morbid to me or mm-hmm. scary in ways that are both appealing to me and not. Like in some ways I do think like, yeah, there are things worth dying for and you just have to be willing to die for them because you do, even if yeah. <laughs> even if there's no particular reward for that. But this feels to me a little, it has a softer, a softer landing place than that. I think my head is going somewhere kind of similar, actually, which is connecting that idea of you are dust and to dust you will return mm. to remembering that you live in a world and you are enfleshed. And this, in reading it in light of this text is sort of, thinking about what does it mean when you leave the sheepfold? If you imagine that you can just live a purely spiritual existence and ignore the troubles of the world, this cross on your forehead that says you are dust and to dust you shall return reminds Mm -hmm. you, you've got to leave the sheep pen. You've got to go out in the world. It's dangerous out there. And that's just the reality that we live in. And yet there is a shepherd who is guiding us through that and who desires abundant life for us all. And for me, that abundant life is, you know, Easter resurrection on the one hand, like there is a life after this life, but it is also possible that one can live abundantly in the presence of dust and ashes, right? You Mm -hmm. can live an Easter life in the midst of an ashen world if if you have faith in the shepherd. And then the step beyond that is, in the same, like, as you were saying, in the way that Jesus gave up his privileged existence as a spiritual reality to enter the fray among us, we are also called to be embodied in the fray among others to share abundant life with them too. Like we can't just hoard abundant life for ourselves, but need to be about the business of doing what needs to be done to ensure abundant life for others, no matter what the cost of that might be. Mm-hmm. To me, that's a really, really rich reading of what Ash Wednesday is. Not simply like, we can't wait till Easter gets here, but also h- how do you live an Easter faith in the, in the midst of a, a broken world? You know, I, you, you started out by comparing the season of Lent to the season leading into Yom Kippur. Yeah. And as you were talking, I just got this image in my mind that I had spoken to my congregation about around Yom Kippur, you know, related to a particular prayer, a particular part of that liturgy. Uh, Let's see if I can, if I, I don't know if I can sum it up here, but this, this sort of idea that, that at the edges of life, when you're really young and when you recognize yourself as really old, as sort of, you know, the other side, you you might have more of a sense of groundedness to something beyond what's happening in the everyday life. Mm. Like you get this sense of like, what's what's actually really important? What's worth standing up for? And I described it sort of as a, a zero entry pool, you know, that sort of like gets deeper and deeper as you walk. Oh, yeah. If you imagine that it does that on both sides, that like when you're in the middle of your life, you're surrounded completely by water. Like your feet mm. aren't on the ground anymore. You can forget that the ground is even there because you're totally tied up in the stuff of life and you're supposed to be like, that's, you're supposed to be tied up in the stuff of life. 
But there is a season that calls us to remember when our feet felt so solidly Mm. grounded in that other world. And it's still there. Like that world is there. Even if you might not feel at a moment in your life that, uh, you know, you, you feel like you're treading water because you are treading water. Like that's, yeah, that's how the system's designed. But I don't really know what to do with that. It just came back into my mind as, as you were talking. And then the incarnation becomes something like the, the bottom of the pool comes up to touch your feet just for a moment. Yeah, right. Or like you have to go down and touch, you know, occasionally to, you know, let, let yourself go down, stop treading water for water for a minute, go down and, and it'll shoot you back up. Yeah. Hmm. I like it. We managed to get from a shepherd gate to a pool bottom. To a swimming pool. I like that. Pool. You did not see that coming. Yeah. That's what John needs. More metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> Amy, thanks so much for this conversation uh, yeah, for Ash Wednesday. I really enjoyed text. this. Next time, we're back with a regular episode on John 11, 1 to 44, which is the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. So I will look forward to seeing you then. Sounds good. Take care. See ya. joining us for this week's episode of Bible Worm. If you've enjoyed this free podcast, we hope you'll help us keep it going by joining our Patreon for as little as $4 per month. You can also sign up for other goodies like early access, video lectures, weekly liturgies, and more. Visit patreon.com slash Podcast for details. Bible Worm is produced by Bobby Williamson and edited by Joel and Laura Becker. Our theme song is sung by Colin Bagby. We are grateful to our many supporters for helping us to keep the podcast going. A special thank you to our executive producer, Fox Valley Presbyterian Church in Geneva, Illinois. Join us next time when we'll be discussing the raising of Lazarus in John 11, 1-44. Until then, keep on digging.